Welcome to Getting to the Truth in His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I have the privilege of chatting with designer, sports branding expert, and writer. Please welcome Todd Radom, the Todd Father. Yeah. Howdy. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate it. We appreciate you. Thanks. Absolutely. You know, of course, I've, I've checked out a few of your social media. I was like, oh, Todd Father. I was like, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hey. I wear it like a badge of honor at this point in my life. <laughs> so, um, obviously, I did a very parsed down, very uh, copy and paste introduction. But I want to allow you to uh, really tell the folks how you would introduce yourself. Because there are some people, especially if you're on like the LinkedIn of the world, it's like, yeah, I'm a graphic designer. And, or I do this or I do that. And it's like, I'm a graphic typographist uh, evangelist. So, how would you um, introduce yourself and really... Ultimately, what drew you to the sports branding world over other sorts of branding? Yeah, well, I appreciate it. It's um, you know, it's a it's a long journey, uh, but for, first and foremost, I would describe myself as a as a graphic artist. Right, you start with that, um, but in addition to just doing design, um, I am also an illustrator, as you said, a typographer. I'm a writer slash author. Uh, I, you know, I do social media uh, influencing. So it's a whole bunch of stuff. I do podcasts. I interview people these days. Um, and it all kind of revolves around this need to communicate, this very primal thing that, that uh, manifested itself in me at a very early age. So... And, and so all everything, the through line, if you will, would be communication is is that key. And um, I, and, I, and I think that's important where I, I, I think recognizing the through line is important where I've recognized with what I do, it's uncovering things, it's illuminating things, it's bringing uh, bringing light to certain certain things. And as we were talking a little bit before we got started, you're in that that role like many people who are around sports and who it's like I can see your stuff. You know, look at the Nationals, look at the Angels. I can see your stuff. I can see your work. And it's people may not know who you are. You know, so <laughs> so talk about talk about like being in that kind of capacity and maybe how it may play with the ego sometimes. How it may play with like this is this is what I do. You know me, <laughs> so tell me yeah. about that. Well, you know, listen. You talk to creative people all the time, and I think that uh, if there's a through line that connects various types of creative people, uh, it, you know, it, to me at least, uh, it is difficult to have an outsized ego because, especially in a commercial space, which design is. Um, I would say that so many of our successes are predicated upon sometimes a mountain of failures. I think about having gone to art school and sitting through critiques, and within critique is the word criticism. Yes. So unless you are comfortable, well, nobody's really comfortable about being criticized, I suppose, unless you're a masochist. But uh, <laughs> it does go. <laughs> but it goes with the territory. Yeah. And uh, branding for sports. Uh, I always say sports fans are the most ardent brand loyalists on mm -hmm. earth because sports fans embrace their logos uh, in a way that I don't think uh, people do with any other commercial brand. You or I may have uh, an affection for a particular kind of beer or soft drink or bank or kind of bread or whatever you want to talk about, <laughs> but chances are People are not getting a tattoo of their favorite 
bank or delivery service on them. Whereas when it comes to sports logos, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's a, kind of an anonymous uh, aspect to it. I will say that, you know, I my, my arc, uh, the arc of my career in this particular field has been very long, uh, yeah. very rewarding. When I started um, specializing in design for sports, this is 30 years ago, uh, I always joke about this, but we could have had a convention. It would have been probably six or seven guys, and they all would have been guys, literally guys that <laughs> right. look like me, white guys of the exact same age for the most part. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm happy and proud to say that, you know, all these years later, it is huge and very diverse. That's great. That's great to have that that shift and see how, like, I've, I've heard this all the time. I've been podcasting for 13 years. And it's like, oh, I'm one of the old guys that's been around. Like, I'm 37. and uh, But when you get to that point where you're seeing how much something has blown up, how much something has expanded, and you remember it from its more nascent stages, that infancy, you're like, oh, oh, that's what it looks like now. And I'm, a, I'm still a part of it. And I'm still relevant. And I'm still doing things. It's it's a testament to that longevity until, until, until really – embracing what you're into. So it brings me to one of my questions, which is definitely out of order. So do you embrace your strangeness? And, and with that, I mean, those unique qualities that make you like really stand out within your field and within the work that you're doing, because we all have our things. It's like, what's going to separate Todd from this person or that person? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And here, too, you know, you talk to creative people all the time. We're weirdos in a lot of ways. We don't. We're we're nonconformists. Um, we we fall off career tracks. We are not linear in many many ways. And yeah, you've got your you know real creative weirdos. I'll just say that I don't necessarily think I'm one of them. But hey, I went to art school in New York City in the '80s, and I saw things and met people that still influence me today. Even if my work doesn't necessarily look, I have stories, Rob. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> So anyway, embracing that uh, that weirdness uh, is, you know, and, and just getting out of your comfort zone, uh, I think it's a good thing, especially being somebody that's been around for as many years as I have. Uh, listen, the world would be a very boring place if we all looked and acted the same way. And when uh, I am help, helping to create stuff that is getting out there to a rather large swath of humanity, um, in every conceivable sense, one size does not necessarily fit all. So Absolutely. you got to tap into your into your weirdness, and um, you know, and and uh, again, that that connects uh, connects all creatives in, in my experience. I agree. So I read that you come from a family of artists. Uh, so is there? Could you share a life experience that really shaped? that uh your your creative sensibilities i mean it's when you're when you're starting off early like being around creatives i was not really around creative folks and i was always the yeah that's the artist that's the that's the guy that wants to do the drawing the guy that wants to do the painting and all of that stuff and right. everyone else was just like i have a day job or i'm going to school but being in the family of it i think that there are some opportunities to shape things or maybe look at things from a from a different standpoint maybe even more critical so tell me how any of those early like life experiences kind of help shape your creative sensibilities well, that's a good question, and I would say that, uh, I mean, it, there, there are some big, big answers, 
Um, but uh, I'll say this. My, you know, I would say my, my father was kind of what I would describe as a creative jack of all trades, variously worked as a designer, a photographer, you know, a uh, copywriter, did what he did to do to make kind of a solid middle class living for us. Uh, my only sibling, my brother, he is a photographer and a retoucher. Uh, my grandfather was a fine artist and an illustrator. And I just remember, you know, being um, just so as a little, little kid, he had a studio in their apartment in New York, um, like downstairs in the basement. He rented a little space and it was full of props for these illustrations. And I just remember being a little kid entranced by watching him paint with a pipe in his mouth, right? <laughs> this is a long time ago. I've got a cousin who is a jazz drummer. Uh, he is older than me. He's an internationally famous jazz drummer. He's been traveling the world for his entire adult life, wow. right? Um, so, and, and, you know, his parents were, uh, his mother was an actress. His father was a draftsman and a fine artist, which is all to say that I'm very fortunate in that my creative um, role models, my, my mothers and fathers, literally and figuratively, were all around me. Uh, I'm sitting here in my house. I'm looking at my at my walls. I have some uh, work of my grandmother's, my paternal grandmother's, uh, who was a great creative inspiration. And when you talk about um, you know the practicalities of a career in the arts, the likes of which you touched upon, uh, part of growing up in a family like this was the fact that I was never discouraged from. Mm -hmm. Uh, pursuing this kind of career, right? Uh, I think of, uh, I have a friend of mine who I went to college with who is a high school art teacher. And there were several years that I would go and I would talk to his class. And I remember, it was kind of sad, uh, one young woman, a student saying that, you know, she wanted to go to art school, but her parents wanted a more practical career for her, um, you know, to be an accountant or something. And I have no idea whatever happened to her. Right. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's, I think John Lee Hooker said it, uh, about the blues it's in you, it's in him. It's got to come out. Yeah. And that's the way it was with me. Yeah. I, I, I kind of have a, a similar thing when it comes to is it wasn't necessarily, um, you shouldn't do this. Like I wanted to be a comic book writer. Right. And, um, actually an artist, the whole game, I was like trying to do everything. I very much a one man show and that's how I pr approach podcasting. And I remember, uh, I want to say when I was in high school, my parents were like, you should look at doing business. You should be an entrepreneur. You should do something that is uh, safe. Right. And, um, and I just kind of went with it. And it was a much different thing, pursued the business degree and all of that. And, you know, did marketing stuff for a while at a, you know, big Fortune 500. And that was cool. But ultimately, I wasn't being satisfied creatively. And, yeah. and that was the thing that I knew, like, creators got to create, you know, it's, it's in you <laughs> to go back to what you were you're touching on. And um, I, I always kind of felt weird that I didn't really... I kind of left something on the table creatively. So um, not too long ago, maybe a couple of years ago, my girlfriend and I started working on a comic book. And it was just like that I was, I was able to get back to it. I wasn't doing all of those things. I was writing it and I actually sent it to a guy today because I, I have a, a draft version of it. I want to change the art and work with a local artist. And I sent it to him and, you know, it's like, would you be interested in working with me? And he was like, this is funny. He's like, I'm glad. So I think even having being older now and doing a cat comic about cat lawyers 
which is yeah. ridiculous. Uh, oh, but I want to see this now. I, oh, I was, I'll send it to you. Uh, and it makes reference to it. It has some, it's a little bit of a pastiche of the firm. So it's, it's different things that are in there that only a mid thirties guy or older are going to get. Whereas I'm like, I'm kind of glad I fell into it that way versus just doing everything. And then, you know, really falling out of it. And, and, and if I can interject for a moment, yeah, please. Uh, I think that at a certain point in our lives, we should get over ourselves to some degree and not take yeah. ourselves so seriously. So to do a project the likes of what you're talking about, maybe it just couldn't have happened at a younger age. It's very I possible. Agree. I agree. Yeah. I, and I think um, I think a lot of the things that we get, whether it's different experiences, all that, that bakes into what you're doing. So understanding like, all right, the entrepreneurial standpoint, the systematizing standpoint, because I'm a data analyst these days, I'm like, okay, I know what how long it takes me to do something. I can now delegate this. I can now do these different things that I would have not learned if I just purely was like, I'm a creative. Everything else, someone else is going to do that for me, which is probably what I would have done. So I think being able to balance the two, that's it's you're right. It's like being there right now is the good part. Yeah. And I and I always feel like so many of the most interesting i mean interesting is kind of a terrible word but if we really kind of get to the root of it uh some of the most interesting people i know at least have taken what i call this drunkard's path to what they do now yeah. they had different careers they lived here they did this they like you know and and some and and uh, you know i i am um i mean listen you do what you do sitting here talking to people uh, I'm, I kind of pride myself on the fact that I can talk to anybody about anything, mm -hmm. regardless of who they are, age, blah, blah, blah. I'm an extroverted heart. And, uh, some of those conversations are just incredibly, incredibly rewarding and inspiring. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think with, with doing this podcast, I like to joke, I steal, I steal from people. It's like, Oh, tell me about your life. Yeah. 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 I want to make myself sound more interesting or, <laughs> Hey, tell me some hacks on how you do, you know, how do you, how do you do this? Great. Now I know how to do it because I'm stealing. Um, so yeah, that's what really this podcast is about. I hope you know. Um, so let's see. Um, so this is one, and I don't want to leave it because I think it kind of ties into what we've been talking about, and I'll go back into these other questions about your current work in a bit. But th this last one, I read that creativity in children, right, is is great because it hasn't been affected by critique, um, comparison, ego. They create to create. It's just like unabated, right? And I think adults, we're further and further away from that, but we can reconnect to it. We can tap back into that. Is that something you agree with? And if so, how do you tap back into that kind of childlike creativity, that childlike wonder just to, just to get to work? Yeah, I mean, you are absolutely right. There is, I always say that there is this kind of primal thing in people who are interested in doing art. And what is that is the child who is sitting there on a floor drawing with crayons on a piece of paper, <laughs> not distracted by anything in the world. And I was that kid. I was that teenager. I was, you know, the kind of kid, the teenager who would uh, close my door and put on some music and just draw. And it was the, in retrospect, just this very therapeutic, calming thing. Um, and uh, to get back to that purity, that, that naivete, if you want to look at it that way, um, is, I, I don't know how you do it. Um, you know, we're all distracted by things. Professionally, uh, it's kind of hard to do because, you know, we have hacks. I mean, you talk about that. 
mm -hmm. uh, and experience that kind of takes us away from that. Um, and the purity of, of this nascent experience, the likes of which we're talking about, part of that is because there's nothing that really came before that, you know what I mean? Yeah. To, to influence that necessarily. So kind of getting back to basics, being a communicator if at the very, like this thing that, like we said, the, the just runs through the whole deal, um, back to basics, um, you know, uh, reduce the sauce. What do you have there? <laughs> yeah. And part of that is sometimes thinking like a kid and hopefully getting that that pure, satisfying joy out of creating things. Um, and goodness knows when you are in design, the likes of, you know, which I do, um, you know, and you are on your fourth round of revisions <laughs> and all of the creativity has been wrung dry out of this thing. <laughs> it's kind of hard to do that, but uh, it is instructive to remember what you just talked about. Totally. Absolutely. Especially going through and editing a podcast and saying, oh, another, another edit. Sure. Oh, you don't like how you sound. Oh, well, that's, that's, your, <laughs> that's your voice. Uh, so how many, how many different logos have you worked on over the year? Ballpark, obviously. Um, and what are some of the favorite ones um, that you've done and a few that you kind of wished you worked on? Like, I, I know that's a bit of a, a, a loaded one there, but yeah, yeah tell, me, tell me about that. Well, in terms of numbers, I couldn't even estimate it would be thousands, literally thousands, because even dating back to the time when I was a teenager picking up work here and there, I always say like my first paid design job, you know, it was probably $50 or who knows what it was, but it was, you know, it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Uh, so the, 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 the volume is just tremendous after all these years. Some of the favorites, well, you know, there are kind of uh, things that people probably have no idea about, little <laughs> things that aren't necessarily uh, visible. But the flip side of that is there are very visible projects that I've been associated with sure. that elevate the work. Yeah. Um, and a couple of good examples of that would be, I, you know, I've designed a Super Bowl logo. I designed the logo for Super Bowl 38. It doesn't get me bigger than that. Right. Is it my favorite project? Uh, no, not necessarily. Uh, visually, is it the fa my favorite thing I've ever done? No, not necessarily. But I think it's important to, you know, to for me to remember that, you know, your priorities change and your sensibilities change, especially over this long span of time. Um, and what you, you know, things don't always age particularly well. Mm -hmm. The the projects that have aged well that still make me smile, those are the ones that that uh, stay with me. Um, you know, some of the more recent things that I've that I've done. Uh, yeah, we're all going to be kind of drawn to the the last thing that that's out there, but uh, there are still some things from 25, 30 years ago that that uh, bring a smile to my face. And that I say to myself, I probably wouldn't do too many different things with. Yeah. And then just lastly, to answer your question, what have I not done? Somebody else asked me this recently, and I kind of had to dig deep. I've been very lucky to have been involved with so many things that are really cool and, you know, kind of spread out and buried in this world. Um, I would love to design a Japanese baseball logo. Like, yes. you know, and, and one of the reasons is 
uh, and it does allude to something that we talked about a couple of minutes ago, um, getting outside of our comfort zones and shaking off preconceived notions, perhaps mm-hmm. uh, inhabiting a world or really you know, getting into research for something like this or something that I'm not familiar with, learning something new. It'd be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yamamura Giants, uh, Hashin Tigers. Come on, come on, guys. Let's, let's, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, bring it up. It would be great. And I, and I want an excuse to go to Japan, too. So. Yeah. Come on, Sable <laughs> Lions. Let's, let's make it a thing. <laughs> um, so, so with that, let's, let's talk about this from, a, I guess, from a, uh, a fan perspective, from an observing perspective. What are the traits for you for, for a good logo? I mean, obviously, you touched on, I think, earlier, kind of that longevity, and it's, it's, it's a very inextricable connection that I think fans have with the logos of their teams. Like, that, that Yankees logo has not changed uh, for, the most, <laughs> for a very, very long time. Uh, so, so what do you look for in a logo, and what kind of, like, I guess, like, it's, it's fine. I don't know. I'm not checking for it. Like, this is, this is going to be changed soon because I'll, I'll say this it was it was one team and I'm saying it uh, it was one team where they did a little bit of a change baseball team did a little bit of a change and they released uh, they released you know their new hats and all of that stuff I jumped on one of them immediately and then the next season he changed the colorway and I was like what the hell yeah and I was like I knew it wasn't gonna stick but I wanted the new thing and uh, you know I was really into Miami Marlins for some reason and uh, so from from your standpoint what makes a, a good logo um, from a from a sports identity standpoint well that has changed uh, over the last decade or so sure. because if you had asked me this question before we all had our faces and our little devices uh, <laughs> and before we were bombarded by the kind of branding imagery, uh, the likes of which we are now, that wasn't that way 10 years ago. It wasn't that way 15 years ago. It certainly wasn't that way when I first started doing this 30 years ago. So to answer your question, um, I think that that, uh, this is what I look for. I look for, especially with sports logos, adaptability and scalability. Mm. What does this thing look like when it is a Twitter avatar? How does this thing scale up to the size, uh, to the, the side of an arena or a stadium? Yeah. Look, what does it look like in you know high definition? How does it move? If we are sitting in a, at a ball game or mm-hmm. uh, uh, any place, baseball, I don't care what sport it is, we see our logos even on broadcast kind of you know animate and uh, you know motion graphics is so important, um, and that goes beyond just structure like architecture. You mm-hmm. talk to architects, and um, they could build a uh, you know a structure that looks any way they want to look. But you got to have a good solid foundation. So any visual identity needs good bones. And I'm just geeking out over here, Rob. <laughs> and then beyond that, uh, these things need to extend out because any sports identity goes well beyond one single logo. Right? We have secondary logos. We have we have lettering. We have patterns and illustrations sometimes, and all these things need to mesh together. So, you know, besides likes and dislikes and besides uh, being elevated by winning, which helps all, you talk about that Yankees logo, um, (laughs) you know, uh, all of those things come into play for sure. Yeah. um, And the the, the visibility component I I think of and 
so I watch professional wrestling and they, they have this thing where when some of the bigger named athletes come out, bigger named wrestlers come out, they have like this almost augmented reality visual, like their logo and they even put their logos on the belts now. So I was like, that has yeah. to be a, a part of it. And I was like, who's doing the work here? It's like some of this is kind of mid and you get that, that scale up thing that you were desc- you were describing immediately I thought of watching wrestling two days ago and I was like, this was, this is bad Photoshop and they scaled it up. So it's like it, it, it extending how bad it was. And <laughs> yeah, it, every flaw gets accentuated when yeah. it is blown out the likes of what you're talking about. And in HD, it's just like, come on guys, we gotta, we gotta do it. And sometimes you're like, okay, that's a great logo. That's going to stay there. I hope they don't change it. But other instances, it's just like, this not a lot of work was done. There were there was a deadline that needed to be yeah. <laughs> there was a deadline that needed to be hit. Yeah, and and you know back in the uh, again going back, uh, if we think about sports logos and what they looked like in the nineties, okay, uh, a good example. You know we had all these expansion teams and all these logos were very very complicated. Mm-hmm. They contained way too many colors in many instances, way too many outlines. Um, and again, this is slightly before digital. The first iPhones come along in what, 2007, something like that, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, the needs uh, have changed. The simplest sports logos, and I'm thinking about the Detroit Tigers Old English D yep. as a good example, right? It is just stark and pure and uh, created in, you know, the 19th century yeah. for what was then a minor league team but somehow feels right here in the 21st century. I think it has to do with that city as well. Just seems like the symbol of a city. And then there are logos, uh, sports logos that are charming and of their time, certainly, but maybe not quite up to date. It might be, you know, you, you, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, yeah. So, so again, these things don't always age well. Sometimes they do. Sometimes it is uh, a wonderful accident. Uh, and sometimes it is literally by design. Yeah, I, I tend to look back in like the divisions, like I'm an Orioles fan, right? And I'm like, all right, the Yankees have that kind of older logo. The Red Sox have that old, older logo. And both of those make me think of regality, makes me think of, oh, this is championship material. And then when you get to the other teams, it's just like it goes downhill. And then Orioles is, is great, but also that looked like the logo for like the junior Orioles club at one point. And I was like, you guys <laughs> yeah. made this a little better, but also it's still a cartoon bird. It's like, come on, guys. Can we and I don't, I don't need like, you know, the Warhawk or have you. I don't need like, you know, just right. uh, an Oriole bird shooting baseballs at people. But it's just like, come on, just just bring it up a touch. You know, like the almost that uh, that realist bird, like during the Ripken's days. So it's like, OK, that's kind of cool. And I was like, it doesn't have much personality but it's literally an Oriole. So it's like, how do you merge the two? And don't get me started on the O hat. I don't like it. <laughs> no, I it's the apostrophe like it. that, that, uh, that travel, it's everything about it. We won't get started with that, Rob. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting. I always say that, that doing what I do, um, you know, every fan base is different. Every city is different. Uh, Baltimore, to me, is such a quirky, wonderful place. It's a city that produced, you know, John Waters, and, <laughs> right? I mean, it's a weird, it thrives in its weirdness yes. uh, in a lot of ways. And New York is nothing like that. New York <laughs> is, you know, the Yankees, the look of the Yankees reflects the look of Wall Street. Yes. It is buttoned up and timeless and kind of like, you know, uh, just kind of like it's Brooks Brothers, 
uh, it may, maybe without being the mass market Brooks Brothers at the at the airport, right? It's yeah. a bespoke, finely tailored suit. And then you get L.A., which, you know, I mean, um, so, again, Kansas City is not L.A. <laughs> Detroit is not Baltimore. Right. New York is not Philadelphia. Understanding those differences and appreciating those differences, uh, I think, helps to, um, you know, helps contribute to uh, a more targeted series of graphics, perhaps. I dig it. I got one last real question, and then I got a couple rapid-fire ones, and then we'll be wrapping up. Uh, so, you know, author is one of those titles that you have, and you wrote um, Winning Ugly, a visual history of the most bizarre baseball uniforms ever worn. Describe the process of writing that book, and what are some of the more interesting things you've learned during that process um, with relation to sports history? Because obviously you're a historian, and, um, and, and branding. Like, So tell me a little bit more about that process and some of the things you learned from it. Well, this really is a, uh, a loving homage to some of the most questionable <laughs> uniforms in the history of baseball, some of the most vibrant looks. And I am a child of the 1970s, and I'm very lucky to have grown up at a time <laughs> when the San Diego Padres wore yellow uniforms, when the Houston Astros ran on the field looking like rainbows for the first time, <laughs> when the Braves were clad in these beautiful, vibrant blue tops, Hank Aaron, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. I'm wearing a Blue Jays cap now <laughs> of that era because the thing makes me so happy. Uh, A's and green, blah, 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 era of Technicolor. And some of them were dumpster fires, as I say. The Cleveland Indians at the time, the Indians yeah. before they were the Guardians, all in red, top to bottom. Your Baltimore <laughs> Orioles in orange, looking like giant pumpkins, including the pants. <laughs> so the genesis of winning ugly, uh, really, um, it's like this moment in time for me. It was five years ago. I was sitting at JFK Airport about to uh, board a flight to Rome. It was late at night. You know, it's one of these overnight flights. And I'm checking my email. Uh, for the last time before I get on that plane, I'm in like this lounge at JFK and I get an email from an editor at the New York Times asking me if I would like to write an op-ed piece for the New York Times about uniforms. And it wound up being an essay about these ugly uniforms that I grew up with and how dear I hold them to my heart. Became a book. Uh, it, it became a book. Published in hardcover in 2018, paperback in 2020. Uh, and it is, you know, it goes beyond the ugliness, but it's kind of a history of the baseball uniform as well. The good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> but uh, what a great, you know, really great creative challenge. Um, and I would say that, like, you know, again, I went to art school. I know how to design a logo. It's like probably the equivalent of a pilot getting getting in a cockpit of a plane and being able to, like, navigate this thing from New York to Rome, for instance. Uh, for me, writing a book was, I didn't necessarily know where to start, where to finish. I knew there was a big middle, but uh, got it right. That's great. It's great to hear about that. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to check it out. Uh, it's on the list. It's in the it's – it's on the list. I'll put it that way. I want to name that place because screw that place. Uh, <laughs> you know where I'm going at. Uh, so – I want to I want to hit you with a couple uh, rapid fire questions real quick and um, yeah, so the first one I have for you: favorite ballpark food. 
Wow. Uh, favorite ballpark food. You can get so many great foods at ballparks now, but yes, there probably is nothing better than we talked about a primal experience with drawing with crayons than just a hot dog and a beer at a game on a hot day. It mm-hmm. just goes down good. Uh, it's not something I would have every day of my life, uh, especially the older I get. But <laughs> come on now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there there are some regional things here. They they've just added some stuff to Oriole Park, which is which is great and sure. But you know if I'm at a game like with other folks and they're like, hey, want to try this new thing? I'm just like, cool. I'm a foodie, so I'm like, fine. I've already had that before. But yes, absolutely, go there. Nice, nice, super cold beer and a nice hot dog, extra mustard on there. Like, let's just let's just make it happen. None of the ketchup. Let's just let's just be back just, to basics. You know, yeah, let's just let's just be gentlemen here. You know. Uh, this this one is a little this one's a little divisive right here. Favorite ballpark? Well, I'm a New Yorker. Yes, I'm going to throw you a curveball here, Rob. You ready? I, I'm a New Yorker and I'm uh-huh. a Red Sox fan. I wrote that. And <laughs> my my first game at Fenway Park took place in 1978, and there is no better, more primal baseball experience than Fenway Park. <laughs> uh, and it's better now than it ever was before because it has been improved upon without losing the character. I could go to uh, go to the men's room and not disappear for two and a half innings because the bathrooms are so tiny. So give me Fenway Park. But I'm going to tell you right now, my friend, I have um, attended Major League Baseball games in 54 different stadiums over the years. Wow. 54. Talk about good, bad, and the ugly. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> a longer conversation for another day. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, this is the last one I have. Um, I know this is going to be a challenge here. Maybe not. And we, we touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, what are three non-sport logos that you, you, you dig? Like, you're like, you know what? MasterCard, that's on point. Love it. What, what are those logos for you that really kind of pop and really like, you know what? I like that. That's a good logo. Yeah, that's a, that is a great question. That is a great question. Uh, well, the first, you know, again, uh, I grew up when I grew up, so I'm going to be influenced by this era where uh, corporate logos, you know, logos for banks and services and things were kind of back to basics, very good, strong logos. Yeah. Uh, I was at a post office a couple of weeks ago near where I live, place, a post office I don't often go to, but they had the old postal service eagle like in profile wow. standing on top of these stripes and it was just beautiful it was like wow it looks like you know america uh, i see this like these rounded corners it just like it, it did uh, a lot with a little i put something on instagram earlier today sports <laughs> logo the hartford whalers does a lot with a little that's like the best compliment that you could pay to a logo uh other than that you look at at uh consumer brands uh, you know, there is something very lovely about certain beer logos, for instance, that, that I can geek out about uh, that, that, you know, I'm going to go right to, uh, to Baltimore and, and think of that uh, Natty Bow guy, you know, yeah. not a great look or a logo necessarily, but like I know what it is and it strikes a, a place in my heart. I'm going to have to get back to you with a couple uh, because that is a very challenging question <laughs> and I could talk for about another hour on this and we don't have time i'll throw out my three um because i'm a nerd and uh, we had this uh, i do a movie review podcast and me and my girlfriend have this idea that if 
if a movie has too many production companies in the front, it's a bad movie. If it's more than like three, it's a bad movie. So I, I pay attention to the logos that are associated with these production companies. So right. for me, the three are in, in because they have to be non-sports, right? Because you know, I still have this the Japanese baseball logos up because of what you said earlier, and I'm like, these are fire. Now I need to close that tab. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they're just so cool, right? Yeah. Uh, New World Pictures, their their logo fire. It's, it's, it's black and it's black and red and white. It just I'm expecting a certain movie to pop out. Um, Orion Pictures. I'm a RoboCop guy. Uh, you know, oh. 19, 1987. Uh, yeah. th- and um, New Line Cinema. You know, like Ninja Turtles, uh, a bunch of horror movies. And recently, I'll throw out this one as a little caveat. A24 is my other one. Uh, it's just it's always movies. I, I'm expecting a certain brand to be a brand of content to be associated with that logo. So that that's that's that early signal. If I'm seeing that on there, if it's a stamp. It's going to be well done. It's going to be something unique and something that's made specifically for me. I'm going to enjoy it. Look at that. I mean, it's so interesting. You're talking about this like in a totally different world. You know, I do all this work with Ice Cube, right? Yeah. And uh, I was tasked a couple of years ago for a project with looking at uh, hip hop logos, like, you know, just old school, like, and you know, there's enough of a history of it. Yeah. And you see how this evolved. And uh, as you probably know, Chuck D from Public Enemy, he's a graphic designer. He's yes, he a couple of years older than me. He went to Adelphi University in Long Island, uh, studying graphic design the same way I did, like old school with exacto knives and cut and paste and all that. And his public enemy logo, which he talks about, you know, is kind of getting back to basics. Why is it a great logo? You know exactly what it is. And when you uh, put a body of work, the likes of which he has accrued on top of that, yeah. it it all like elevates in unison. So kind of, uh, yeah, It's and it's interesting how certain uh, genres, certain, you know, consumer products, certain, you talk about film, um, they, you know, sometimes there are these tropes and sometimes the tropes uh, work well. And and again, it's like high, low market kind of yeah. thing too. Uh, you know, there are like, you know, you go to, I mean, nobody goes to the mall anymore, <laughs> but back in the old days, if we went to the mall and you were to look at, you know, what's around you, well, you know, Here's Tiffany, which looks a certain way. And down at the other end of the scale, I saw there are, I think, three Kmarts still in existence. That looks a total different way. Yeah. So expectations play into it, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, th- I think that's it. I think we have it. Um, so I want to, um, one, thank you for being on this podcast. And two, I want to invite you to tell the fine folks where they can check out your work, your social media website. Please share. Uh, thank you. Well, for, well First, uh, thank you so much. An elevated conversation. Talk about elevated. Uh, appreciate it very much. Uh, great to meet you. Great to meet uh, you my work is at toddradom.com, T-O-D-D-R-A-D-O-M. At Todd Radom is also my Twitter handle. It is also my Instagram handle. And uh, that's where I'm at. So uh, we all live in a very interconnected world. And when it works, it works. And being a creative person is great with this because you could just, you know, a stream of consciousness uh, comes into play. And uh, it was a great conversation, Rob. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. So, um, yeah, I'm going to wrap up there. Uh, so for the, the great Todd Radom, I am Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around your city. You just got to look for it.